0: The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer number one, begins with, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God. Now, I don't think you're going to find any Christians who are going to argue with that. But now the question is, what constitutes glorifying God? And the Reformed answer is, by keeping God's law. That's where the argument is going to begin, because many are going to argue, we're not under the law, we're under grace. We're in the New Covenant. We're in Christ. The law doesn't bind Christians anymore, so it can't possibly be used to tell us how to glorify God. Well, tonight on Sinners and Saints, we're going to start a whole new series on the law of God, and we're going to teach you how to think about the law, and then we're going to talk to you about how to apply that to your lives today. So stay tuned with us tonight on Sinners and Saints.
1: In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion aimless religion in a mindless church we're addressing the need for a bible-based intellectually rigorous 21st century christian faith this is sinners and saints theology with an edge
0: Thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints, and joining us for our discussion as usual is Rev. Moses Jambazian from Pasadena, United Reformed Church, and Rev. Adam Kalustian from Ontario, United Reformed Church, and I'm John Sautel, church planter at large. Thank you all for joining us this evening. As I said in the intro, we're going to be starting a new broadcast tonight where we're starting a whole new series on the law of God, and we know that this is a question that many of you... Have been asking and you're thinking about. There's a lot of confusion out there in the church today about uh, whether the law applies and where do you find the law. Some of you think it's just the Ten Commandments. Others think that it's uh, uh, just what you find at the end of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And so you're wrestling with this issue. And so we want to start a whole series here on the Ten Commandments by tonight, just beginning to talk about this whole issue and ask what is the law, what is it that's binding on Christians, and even if it is binding at all. So. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out as a general topic here as we begin our discussion tonight. What do most people think of when they come to this whole topic of the law? Where are they in general?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, John, people have all different kinds of ideas that come to their mind even when they hear the word law. And, and part of that reason is because the word law in the Bible is used in a number of different ways. I mean, sometimes when we say the word law or we talk about the law, all we're talking about is what God wants us to do as his creatures. You know, reflections of his holy character, you know, the commandments that he gives to us, how we should obey him, and that's law. But sometimes in the Bible when we talk about law, it's talking about that whole old covenant law system that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, including the Ten Commandments and all of the other ceremonies and symbols and sacrifices and religion that he gave. That's one system. Sometimes Paul refers to that as the law with like a capital L. And, And there can be other things that people mean by the word law. I mean, out there today, most people when they hear the word law probably think of, I don't know, the Ten Commandments that they're arguing should be posted in a courtroom as the basic summary of what God wants everybody to do in order that things will go well.
0: Okay, Adam, you just brought something up here that's really important. In you, you, you talk about the Ten Commandments, and most people think that that's good, and yet there, there's so much confusion among evangelical Christians today about what role these Ten, ten Commandments are supposed to have in our life.
3: Well, for some, it will be like Adam said, that it will be absolutely dominating their lives, and they want it posted in every classroom, every courthouse, in front of every city hall. It's this idea that somehow by having this everywhere, it will actually cause people to grow in their morality and make the nation a better place. But then on the other hand, you have people like Bill Bright and uh, many people from the whole lordship uh, salvation controversy who say that the Ten Commandments really don't belong to the Christian at all. In fact, That would be introducing legalism back into Christianity. So you have really two polar opposites where the law becomes absolutely dominant in the person's life as a means of achieving righteousness versus those who say that because I'm saved, the law has absolutely no say upon my life.
0: And I'll even throw a third group in on that. You said there's the people that want the Ten Commandments posted everywhere from courthouses, to city uh, halls, and then you have the Lordship Salvation people who say, no, they're not binding or whatever. But then you have this other group who wants them posted from on on everything from uh, courthouses to city halls, but they don't want them read in church, and they don't want anybody uh, being uh, having the commandments read to them as a as a guide for Christian living. So you have all this confusion out there, and one of the things we want to do here before we get down into what the Ten Commandments are and all this, maybe we should just make some basic distinctions that the Reformed have been making for a very long time about the law.
2: Okay, listen to this. The first clear distinction that you need to be able to make in your mind when you begin to think about the law is the difference between the law and the gospel. And when we use the word law in talking about the law and the gospel, we mean any command that God gives his creatures about how they ought to live before him, no matter where it is in the Bible. So you can look in the Garden of Eden where God says to Adam, you may not eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden uh, lest you die. Or you can look in the old covenant law system and see the commands that he gives to the Israelites that they must obey. You can look in the Ten Commandments and find uh, reflections of the law that we ought to believe today. You can look in the New Testament and see all the commands that uh, God makes through the apostles of how we ought to live and obey him. Anything that God tells us to do when we're talking about the law and the gospel is considered law, something that we must do in order to be blessed, or if we don't obey perfectly, we would be cursed.
3: Now, the flip side of this is the gospel. Now, you need to make a clear distinction here. Everything that God commands is required, but the law in any of its forms cannot save. To be justified before God, you must have the gospel where God does the work, where God brings you grace. And so we have to understand uh, law, no, that I, which I, is I, I pleasing in, in the sight of God but impossible yeah, for fallen man to do, versus the gospel, yeah, that which God has done, Jesus Christ being sent to, to be our Savior. Law and so it is in this that we have to begin our discussion. Reduce- Okay,
0: so we've introduced the topic of the law and all the difficulties in understanding it, and we've introduced this new, uh, we've introduced this uh, distinction for you, the contrast between the law and the gospel. The law is God's command. Gospel is God's promise. We come back after the break. We're going to continue to talk about some of these important distinctions that the reform make when they deal with the law. So stay tuned with us tonight
3: on Sinners and Saints. There is no greater joy in the Christian's life than to worship God according to His Word, and there is nowhere better in the San Gabriel Valley to do this than at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. So come join us this Sunday at 9 a.m. and at 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in Arcadia. You can call us at 866-99-UNITED or look us up on the web at sinnersaint.org.
1: This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.
2: Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian. I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED.
0: Okay, you're back here with Sinners and Saints tonight. Uh, We're glad that you're joining us. We are taking on a whole new series on the law of God. And as an introduction to our series on the Ten Commandments and the Law, we wanted to begin talking about some of the important distinctions that the Reformers have been making in the law because so many of you are confused about the role of the law in the life of the Christian and which parts of the law apply and so forth and so on. So uh, we began with the fundamental distinction between law and gospel just to show that these are two contrasting separate categories in the Word of God. But now we want to make some more distinctions uh, about the law. And the next uh, distinction that's important to get a hold of here is the distinction between natural law
3: and, and moral revealed law. Yeah, natural law is that which all the nations possess. And that's something that has to be dealt with, is that even those nations that don't have the Mosaic Covenant or the Christian Gospel still have some sort of law. And where does that come from? And we call that natural law, that which is naturally appraised, that which is already written on the consciences of all men, and that which is universally binding. And that is a real law. It comes from God. And even though they don't have revelation, They nonetheless do have law given by God through their conscience. Did you hear that?
2: Every person in the world as a creature of God made in his image, even if they don't have the Bible or somebody explaining to them what God's will is for their life, on their heart they have written what God wants them to do. This is natural law. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 2 says, The Gentiles, who do not have the revealed law, by nature you see them doing the things contained in the law. These, although they don't have the law, are a law to themselves, who show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, either accusing them or excusing them. Everybody out in the world has written on their heart the character of the God who made them and knows by nature what is right to do and what is wrong to do in God's world. That's natural
0: law. You know, that passage is very important here in Romans chapter 2 because what Paul is doing there is he's making this distinction which we've brought into the discussion here. Paul is clearly contrasting the fact that there is a natural law which is written on the hearts of men, and there is a revealed or a written law, which he says the things which are written in the law. So he has given us this category. But the thing that I want to point out here is not only has he given this category, which we're introducing in the discussion, is that he's saying these laws agree in terms of their content. He's saying, even though the Gentiles didn't have this uh, detailed, exhaustive law that the Israelites has, Paul's saying in substance, they still had the law, and that's why they're still guilty.
2: That's right. And this is why, for example, when you go to a a culture of of unbelief and ignorance, you don't find everybody murdering everybody else. And it's because by common grace, God has restrained their sin from violating the natural law, which they know, which is I shouldn't kill my neighbor. Now, granted, they do kill their neighbor to some degree, and we'll get into more of those details later. But the point is that everybody knows what God commands them basically to do in their life and how to conduct themselves
3: and this should give us some guidance in terms of how we're going to understand other distinctions in the law and the scripture is that here you have two different types of law posited by Paul one is called natural law which the Gentiles have and the other is the written revealed law of God in the scriptures they have a lot of the same content the details are obviously more fleshed out in that which God has given in the scriptures but nonetheless the content is has a lot of overlap but they are not the same thing one is the natural law of the Gentiles, the other is the revealed law of God. And so this type of distinction is going to become important as we progress with this conversation.
0: Okay, so we've, we've uh, set up this distinction which Paul sets forth in Scripture for us, the distinction between natural law and, and revealed moral law. And we, we've made the point that they both in substance agree. But, you know, as you begin to look at the law as a totality, as you look at the breadth of Scripture— you, know, you begin to notice that there are many, many, many distinctions within the law. So why don't you talk us through some of those distinctions now?
2: Okay, here's a very important one. When we're talking about the ways in which God reveals his character and his commands, his demands about how his creatures should reflect his character and how they should live, one basic distinction you need to make in the ways in which God reveals this is you have to see that the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai to the Israelite people is part of the old covenant law system as a whole. He says to Moses, here are the ways in which the Israelite covenant community, the people of God of old ought to conduct their life and their worship. And this is the revealed Word of God. But one of the things that we want you to start thinking about is that when God reveals his moral law to his people, he does it in particular contexts so when he gives all of his commandments and regulations and religious direction to his people of the old covenant, we don't automatically say, apply every detail of that law to every person at every point of history in the time in which they live. He is revealing his law in a certain context and for tic- for particular reasons. And we'll get to, to see that in more detail. But notice the Old Covenant law system is just one of the ways in which he has revealed his law to his people,
0: okay, you bring up something very important, so I want to uh, spill this have this discussion spill over into the next segment now because you have to get hold of this distinction if you 're going to properly learn to think about the law and apply the law to yourself you can 't just simply go back to the Old Testament and randomly put your finger on a sentence of law and say oh it 's law, so it 's all law, so it must apply to me. no, there are three. Uh, There's a threefold distinction that you need to master, which is very important in helping you understand to think about the law correctly and apply it to your life. There is moral law. There is civil law, that is commandments, which apply very specifically to the state under the old Israelite theocracy that they had to impose upon the Israelite people and execute upon them. And then you had the third, which is ceremonial law, a very clear category of law. You see many examples in the New Testament where Paul uh, isolates this and distinguishes it from other aspects. Aspects of the law. So When we come back after the break, we're going to show you some of these distinctions from the Word of God to help you apply this to your life. Stay tuned with us tonight on Sinners and Saints.
4: Americans are known for their independence and self-reliance. We take little stock in other people's opinions. Americans want to examine and form our own conclusions about everything. And if something isn't to our liking, we'll fix it. These characteristics have served us well in casting off monarchies and taming the wild frontier. But are they really the best qualities for building Christ's church? At Grace Evangelical Church, we think one thing our culture doesn't need to reinvent are the tried and tested truths of orthodox Christianity. We take delight in the faith of our fathers, in the biblical truths captured by the three forms of unity— We believe the truths of the Reformation gospel of justification by faith alone are the only solution for the multitude of problems that face America today. We invite you to come worship with us at Grace Evangelical Church. For more information, you may contact us at area code 310-782-7019. That's 310-782-7019.
0: All right, we want to thank you again for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. We've been talking about this whole issue of the law. How do we think about the law? What kind of distinctions should we apply to the law? How do we apply it to our life on a daily basis? We've gone over the fundamental contrast between law and gospel being the two foundational categories of written revelation. Then we talked about the difference between natural law and moral law that's revealed in the Word of God and how those basically cohere in substance. and But when we we begin to talk about this, this written moral law, we talked about there's some distinctions that have to be made here, and that is the distinction between moral law, ceremonial law, and judicial law. And as you turn to the scriptures, you begin to see this is not some artificial distinction made by a bunch of dead white guys hundreds of years ago. This is actually a biblical distinction. These categories come straight out of the scripture.
3: One of them we can see is the idea of what's called judicial law, those laws that were given to the nation-state of Israel as a covenant people. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 is speaking of ministers having a right to be paid, and the explanation he gives He goes to a law that says that you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. So Paul says that you think this was given because God's primary concern was with the ox? He goes, no, it is in order that you understand the worker is worthy of his wages. So here you have an application of a particular judicial law And Paul says that that's not its ultimate relevance. Its relevance is to us in that it shows us a principle of how God sees us and deals with us. So this is one of those distinctions that we make. And we say there are other such laws, judicial laws, that are no longer binding on the state but that they are telling us about God's character.
0: Yeah, it's very important to make this distinction now. You cannot say, okay, I, I want to know how America should be. What, what kind of laws should we have as a civil government? You cannot go right back to, oh, you know what? There's a whole list of laws right, right here in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, that we should be using. That's not true. They were given specifically to Israel in that particular covenant that God made with Israel as a national people. Now, you also have this other category of ceremonial law, too.
2: Yeah, I want you to think about the book of Hebrews. The book of, of Hebrews looks at all of the detail of God's religious commandment to his old covenant people of Israel, all the elaborate priesthood and all the characteristics of the sacrifices that they make. He talks about the priests and how they they continually offered sacrifice for sin year by year, but that they could never really save anybody. It was all pointing forward to the high priest who was coming. And then he makes this fascinating statement at the end of chapter 8. He says, in that God calls the new covenant when Jesus Christ came new, he has made the first obsolete. And now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The point he's making here is, look, I want you to see all of the ceremonies and the symbols and the religious expression of the Old Testament people of God as ceremonial, meaning it was pointing forward in various ways, in various fascinating ways, by the way, when you read the book of Hebrews, to the Christ who was coming. So it would be stupid for us today to read the Old Covenant ceremonies and say, this is how Christians should practice religion. You see people like the Messianic Jews or whatever yeah. they call themselves, trying to institute all of these...
0: Passovers and having all these special little uh, ceremonial times together. And clearly, this is unbiblical. Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, having canceled the written code with its regulations. Well, what's the written code? Well, he goes on to explain for you what he means by that in verse 16 when he says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Clearly, he He's referring to ceremonial law, the various distinctions within that law. And here's what he says about them. This is why you don't keep them, verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the reality, however, is found in Christ. They were shadows, they were types uh, in this ceremonial law, pointing forward to Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. Now that he's come, it's done, it's over. So you don't have to follow, nor should you follow. It's dangerous for you to follow those ceremonies now.
2: Yeah, let me read to you how the Belgic Confession says. It says, we believe that the ceremonies and the symbols of the old covenant law system ceased at the coming of Christ and that all the shadows are accomplished so that the use of them must be abolished among Christians. you understand that? The judicial and ceremonial laws, the following of them, must be abolished among Christians.
0: Okay, so you have the judicial law, and that's been abolished. You have the ceremonial law, that's been abolished. But you guys said there was three categories. What is this moral law, and how does it work out in the life of a Christian?
2: Okay, well, the best way for you to think about that is we're we're concerned that some of you, hearing that the judicial and the ceremonial laws have been abolished, might be thinking that then we take that whole old covenant law system and everything in it and flush it down the toilet because Christ came. And we say no. The Belgian Confession says, we still use the testimonies taken out of that Old Covenant law system to regulate our life in all honorableness to the glory of God according to his will. And what that's referring to is that even in the midst of this temporary, typological, time-bound system, the Old Covenant law system, it still in some ways reflects... The eternal moral commands of God for his people so that when we go back and read the old covenant law system and look at various parts of what God told his people to do in that time, we can also apply those principles in that law to our lives today. The trick is figuring out how to find the moral law out of the old covenant law system.
3: Romans 13.8 Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law for this you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and if there is any other commandment it is summed up in this saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself I think think,
2: Moses in the coming weeks you know we can't do it tonight but we're going to have to get into a little more detail about the right way to figure out these moral commands from that old covenant law system
0: Okay, so we've covered, uh, we begin the series on the law. We've covered a number of very important distinctions, and, and I'm gonna just make a, a really abrupt transition here, okay? We've been talking about the law. But we're gonna talk about money now. I'm gonna tell you what, uh, since Sinners and Saints has been on the air, it's been supported from, from a number of different means, but along the way, many of you have asked us the question, you know what, we like what's going on with this show. We like what we're hearing. Is there any way that we can support this broadcast? And we're here tonight to tell you how you can go about doing that now.
2: Yeah, we've uh, put up on our website, sinnersaint.org, sinnersaint.org. Make sure you type it in right so you get to the right website, sinnersaint.org. You know you can hear uh, audio archives of some of our shows up on that site. You can get introduced through our churches when tell your friends about that website. But we've put a button up on the homepage that says make a donation, if you go onto the website sinnersaint.org, you can't miss it. And it's very easy for you to click on that button and to help support us. And we would just encourage you, if you are finding uh, this show to be productive in your understanding of the Word of God, if you find it a good introduction to the basic teachings of the Bible, that you would click through and show us that you're actually listening and that you're actually finding it helpful by by supporting us. And we would invite you to do that uh, even tonight.
0: Yeah, and we just want to take a moment here to pause and thank all those churches that have been supporting us. First United Reformed Church of Chino, Ontario United Reformed Church, and of course Pasadena United Reformed Church, Torrance United Reformed Church. Uh, so we thank you, churches, so much for the, for the uh, encouragement that you've given through supporting this financially. But we also want to remind you who've been listening that uh, it's good for you when you have received this instruction to share financially with those who have helped you. Galatians six, 6 says anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. And this show has been, in a sense, an instructor to you if you've been listening to it for some time. And if you have the resources and the means after you've already given to the local ministry of your congregation and you believe this is a worthy cause, we would certainly invite you to participate in sharing this broadcast by going to sinnersaint.org. Yeah,
2: and by the way, just a little detail. When you click through that Make a Donation button on the website, uh, you'll see that it, it has you giving to Ontario United Reformed Church. The money that you give through the Center Saint website goes to this show. We want you to know that, and also let you know you don't have to have a PayPal account to do it. You use any credit card or whatever means you have. Uh, you can contribute directly to us, and we do appreciate it, and we look forward to continuing on in the new year and proclaiming the truth here.
0: By the way, if you can't check us out on the web at centersaint.org, you can certainly call us at eight six six nine nine united. That's eight six six nine nine united. We'd be happy to talk to you about the Reformed Faith or... How to help grow this very important broadcast on the basics of the Reformed faith. Thanks again for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints.
1: Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.